I'm looking here at this uh, manger scene, and uh, I think of what a wonderful thing that is. And uh, you don't see many manger scenes anymore at Christmas time, and that's sad because that's what Christmas is really all about. But the world would like to try to push that out of Christmas, and Santa Claus becomes everything. Santa Claus on a, a fictitious person, on a fictitious sleigh flying through the air with reindeers flying through the air, all that, so fictitious and everything. And yet it's promoted and pushed. And they've got it at Disney World, they've got it at parades, uh, you know, everywhere, all over the whole nation, TV everywhere. It's all about Santa Claus. So I'm always glad to see that. I remember years ago uh, when my daughter was a little girl, she was about three years old. I had a friend, Mr. Johnson, raise your hand. Yeah, she was a little girl about three years old back then. And a friend of mine and I went into a department store. We'd been working together, working late. We went into this department store to buy a few things before they closed about nine o'clock. Then I had to head home. And Santa Claus was on his little chair. And he said to me, you know what? That reminds me, I got to bring my, it's at Christmas time. I got to bring my kids down here and see Santa Claus or bring them somewhere to see Santa Claus. I said, yeah, you know, I got to take my little girl someplace to see Santa Claus too. Just off the cuff, I just said that. And everything. Well, we finished up did a little shopping, paid on our way. And we were going out just as the door had closed and everything was over with. We went outside and there was a guy out there that I thought was half drunk and was some kind of a derelict or a flake or some type. I don't know. He wasn't asking for money. He was just standing there and he was smiling at us, smiling at both of us. I thought this is a strange looking character and he looks like a shady character. And we said, take care. He said, you two guys take care and make sure you bring Denise to see Santa Claus. I thought, how does this guy know about my daughter? And then he mentioned the other guy, and don't forget so-and-so and so-and-so, take them to see Santa Claus. And we looked at him, and then he said, I'm Santa Claus that you just saw in there. I'm Santa Claus. I was in there. I was the guy dressed in the suit, what he was saying. And I heard you say that. That's how he knew her name. And I looked at that guy and I thought, I'm going to bring my daughter and set him in his lap. I mean, he looked, I mean, I know all Santa Claus are not like that, but this guy looked raunchy. I mean, really, he looked like he was fixing to head for the nearest tavern and spend the rest of the evening there and everything. And I decided right then, no more putting my daughter in a Santa Claus lap, never, ever, ever again. I don't know who those people are. When my son came along and he was born and he got out to be a little tyke. I decided to start early and teach him there is no Santa Claus. <laughs> so we were in Panama City, Florida. And I remember telling him one day, now son, there's no Santa Claus. Remember, there's no Santa Claus. Santa Claus is just a myth. There's no such thing. I might as well teach him the truth to start with. So we were walking together. And I felt him pull on my sleeve like that. And I looked down, and he's pouring like that. 
And there was a guy over there in a Santa Claus suit ringing a bell. Salvation <laughs> Army or somebody ringing a bell, Santa Claus. Oh, I said, yeah, well, he's just got a suit on, you know. We walked on down around the corner and everything. There's another one over there. He's ringing a bell. He's dressed in a Santa Claus suit. He pulled my coat dead. <laughs> there is a Santa Claus. <laughs> there they are. You say there are not, but they're there, you know. So I knew they had, that truth had to go a little bit further. But when I see a manger scene, I said, thank you, Jesus, that, people, that, that we are people who still remember what Christmas is all about. Now, I'm going to say this for what it's worth. I'm not into my lesson yet. I'll be there in a second. But if anybody knows where you can buy a manger scene that you can put out in your front yard, let me know. Please let me know. I, I'd like to know where you can buy one because I, in, in, in my neighborhood, I don't put out Santa Clauses and bunch of stuff. I, I try to get a manger scene with some lights on it. And that's my Christmas decoration outside the house. So if anybody in here knows about it or knows where you can buy a manger scene of some type, you know, something that you can put in your front yard, not some little something like that, you know, but some something sizable. Okay. <laughs> All right. God bless you. Thank you. Now, let's pick up where we left off last week. We are in a very interesting subject, and I want to say this to all of us here today, and that is that uh, we are living in a very, uh, very uh, important time in the entire church age period of time of 2,000 years. This is at the end time. Two things are going, going on. And you've just got through a great service in here. This, if you were not here in the first service, some of you were in the first service and you're in Sunday school. Some of you are here in Sunday school for the first time and we're yet to go into the second service. But I understand that first service was a powerful service. And uh, God blessed it mightily. Uh, let me just say this today. There are two things that are very important for us to understand about these last days. And that is, number one, the Lord's getting ready to come back. Now, the church really needs to be aware of that. And we need to be aware that Jesus is coming back soon. It's not a time to play around, be foolish, to be uh, carnal, to be worldly. It's not that kind of a time at all. It's a time that we should draw close to God and let God be close to us as we walk with the Lord. And the other thing is that while God is getting his church ready to go in the rapture, he's also having a great revival, a great revival. So you've got a combination of the Lord coming, but it doesn't mean that we just sit down and do nothing and wait for the Lord to come. But there's also a revival happening because there are people who are aware that the way the world is shaping up and they have some kind of a background or knowledge of the coming of the Lord they know something's going to happen. They know things are shaping up for if the rapture, if they've heard that or learned that in Sunday school or as children when they were young or young people, whatever. And they say to themselves, I want to get back right with God. And so there are a lot of those kind of people that are going to find their way back to, uh, to an altar of prayer and pray through and find the Lord and get baptized. So that's going to be happening. There are other people who have no knowledge of that, but they know something is changing and something is happening in the world, world, and the world is looking a little bit crazy nowadays. So they are saying that I need to go someplace where I can feel God, find God, find where truth is, and 
and see if I can touch Jesus and see if Jesus still loves me and wants to save me. So there is these two elements that are going on. So you and I, as God's people, we need to be very strong for God. At the same time, we need to be looking, searching, keep our eyes open for people who are looking and searching. I have done this more than one time. It works. And that is pray and ask God to bring you in touch with somebody who is looking for the Lord or hungry for God and is searching for truth. Just try that sometime. Just try it. Just say, God, bring me in touch with somebody like that, that I may witness to them. And the Lord will put you in touch with somebody who is hungry. He'll open a door some way or another. And when it happens, take time to do it. A lot of times you'll be too busy to stop and talk about it. No, no, just take time to do it anyhow. And see if you can follow through and have some church cards to give them. This is our church. This is where we are. This is when we have church services. And what you're looking for, you can find here, you know. Or take time to pray with them or just take time to talk to them about Jesus. Whatever you have to do. But I'm just saying that this is the day of salvation. When sin abounds... Grace doth much more abound. And grace is that unearned favor of God, the unearned merit of God, that God for no reason just gives us his love, his mercy, and his goodness, and he will save us. Can you say praise the Lord? Lord. All right, we're going to pass out our handouts. I should have already had those out for you. I apologize. This is our handouts for the day. And while you're receiving those, I am going to talk to you a little bit about where we are in our talk here about Babylon. I'm going to continue on with our subject here of Babylon. And uh, I'll tell you why in a few moments. Let me get this uh, focused here. This is the handouts that you're being given right now. I'll push that up a little bit. Try to get as much of that on the screen as I can. All right. And uh, when you get your handouts, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what we talked about last week. And uh, last week we talked about uh, the two Babylons of ancient, of of history that is, uh, ancient Babylon and historical Babylon. Those are my terms that I'm using there. Ancient Babylon was the beginning of polytheism. Polytheism is the worship of many gods. And it all started back in the fourth generation after Noah. In the fourth generation, it was headed up by a man by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod is mentioned in the 10th chapter of the book of Genesis. And it also says there that he was the founder of Babel. And I'll tell you in a minute why it's called Babel or Babylon and uh, the city or the empire, whatever, it it, it developed into an empire at one time. But it was uh, caused by the fact that the the people who had followed after in the fourth generation decided to build a tower to heaven. And Nimrod, uh, uh, rather, uh, Josephus says that Nimrod was the leader of these people And he said, let's build a tower to heaven in case God wants to drown us by a flood again. And of course, in the eighth chapter of Genesis, the Lord told told Noah and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, 
that he would never destroy the earth again by water. And that's why the rainbow's in the sky. It's a token of his covenant with the human race and everything that breathes air that he'll never destroy the earth again by water. Well, in the fourth generation, they begin to discredit that. And they said, well, God says that, but how did we know he does? So this man, Nimrod, came along. He's a very evil man, very strong physical person. And uh, Nimrod was killed early in his life. Uh, and the history says some gored by some animal, whether it was a bull or, or a rhinoceros or something. But he was very strong and take on wrestling with animals and things like that. And he was killed by one of them. And his wife was Semiramis. Semiramis was a woman who was younger than him, married to him, and when he died, she became very promiscuous and very fearful that her position as his wife and a leader of the people would be replaced or would be thrown down or she would be thrown down, done away with. And she had a child out of, out of with somebody, she committing adultery or fornication at that time. And she had a child, his name was Nemus, and uh, uh, so Nemo, Nemo, not Nemo, is Nemo. And when Nemo was born, and she said that he was the child of, of, uh, of Nimrod. And so she got this thing started. This is all in history. I won't go back into it again, only to say that we talked about all that last week, read to you from many, there are many history books about it. I have one book called The Two Empires, which is all about this. Another one says The Two Babylons and all about it. The book about it. Josephus speaks extensively about it through, I only read just a few passages in, in those books to you last week, just to let you know that it's not something I'm saying, but it's something that's recorded in history and so forth. This was that ancient, ancient Babylon, ancient Babylon. It was called Babylon, the Bible says, and even Josephus emphasized it emphatically. Whenever they were gonna build the tower to, to heaven, the Lord came down as an angel in angelic form with some angels and they looked at all the situation. And the Lord says their foolishness has caused them to try to stay congregated here in this valley, which is the Valley of Shinar, which is in the uh, Iraq today between the Euphrates River and the Tigris River in that area. And they're building this tower and it's, it's foolishness. So he confounded their languages instantly they spoke different languages. They'd all spoke one language up until that time. And one would turn to the other one and said, hand me a stone so I can you know, put the mortar on it and put it in place to build this tower, happened to build. And the guy he spoke to didn't understand what he was saying. And he said, what did you say? And he was speaking in a different language. So they're all speaking in different languages and they sound like they were babbling to each other. What's he saying? I know he's babbling. What's and then, so families were separated like that. Families understood family members, but they didn't understand other families. And so they became divided like this. This is how languages started. It's in the Bible. And it's also recorded in ancient history and other uh, nationalities of people. It's all there. And so they started, and they call it, it was called Babel. And so it says Nimrod and Semiramis, and they, they established the Babel was his kingdom. This is found in the scriptures. This is the 10th chapter of Genesis that he established Babel. And then of course, Josephus explains that Babel was Babylon. And then Babylon was that old ancient empire that started and went along for a while. And finally, it sort of died away and was not seen anymore until the historical, uh, historical Babylon came along. 
And the historical Babylon was when Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar around 625 along in that area began to conquer the then known world, which again was the Middle East. Uh, I don't want to bore you with maps and all those kind of things here again today, but this is a map of that Middle East area. And we explained to you that in the red is the nation. This is Iraq where you see within red here. This is Jordan and within the red, the red outline. This is Israel right here. And uh, this is Iran over here. Everything in red tells you where everything is today and so forth. Here's Turkey up here, so forth. But in the black is the ancient empire. This is Babylonia here. This is Babylon. And the, uh, this is where all that began. This is the city of Babylon right here. The ruins are still there to this day. And that's the Babylon. That's the Babylon that, ne that Nebuchadnezzar was king of. That's not the... Uh, that's not the other one, but it's that one. I'm just pointing all this out in that this valley here then is this valley in here that is the valley that all this happened. So I want you to understand here that when this other second Babylon came along, that's where Daniel was captured in Israel and taken over to Babylon. And the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all taken over to Babylon and they were put over there and so forth. So this is a little bit of what we looked at last week. And then there is a modern day Babylon because why would the book of Revelation, why would the book of Revelation be talking about Babylon at the end of time, at the end of time? So when you get over here in the book of Revelation and in a couple of places it talks about Babylon in, in preceding verses, uh, for instance, in 14.8 of Revelation, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Well, why would they be saying that Babylon is fallen over here? Babylon fell 2,500 years ago. It was destroyed, you know. It's because there's a modern-day Babylon that it's referring to. And it's a modern-day Babylon. Now, that same thing is mentioned again in the 16th chapter. And uh, I'm, pick, I'm trying to pick up on it here uh, uh, of the 19th verse, 16, 19. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before the Lord. So Babylon isn't destroyed at this point. Do you understand what I'm saying? And understand this, that Revelation was written in 96 AD, 96 AD. But this is referring to the end time. In 96 AD, the only thing existing with Babylon was perhaps Rome. That's the only thing. And so then when you go into the 17th chapter here, it goes into detail about it. And it's talking about mystery Babylon again. I'm going to read this to you again. Look at 17.1. 17.1, and there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And then jumping down in verse 5, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And it seems strange that it would be talking about Babylon here when Babylon was destroyed way back there. Now, uh, an and, and, and ironic thing here is that over, over here in, uh, I think it's Jeremiah, 
Jeremiah chapters 50 and 51. It's over a hundred verses in these two chapters. And it speaks of God's destroying Babylon. Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was 500 years before Jesus. And then over here in Revelations, you've got them talking about and almost using same phrases and sentences. So what's really at the bottom of all of it? It's not so much the empire of Babylon as it is the, the polytheism of Babylon. Now, polytheism is the worship of many gods. So it was in that ancient Babylon under Nimrod and Semiramis that polytheism came along. That's the worship of numerous gods. Uh, you well know that. Our, our, uh, our days of the week are named after these gods. Did you know that? You know, sun, mon, Sunday is the sun god. Monday is the moon god. Tuesday is the god of war. Did you know that? That's named after the god of war. Wednesday is the god of speed or the god of running like Mercury. Uh, Thursday is Jupiter, which is the chief god, chief god. And this is all out of the Latin language. And then Friday is the goddess Frigg. And then Saturday is the god of Saturn. Saturn, Saturn. Saturday is Saturn, which is the god of agriculture. Now, also our planetary system. You know, remember, if you've studied, you remember how the earth and then the, the closest, the closest uh, planet to the sun is Mercury. That's the feet speed. And then there is uh, Venus, the, the female goddess. And then there's Mars, the god of war. And then it goes on, there's God, you know, the, there's Jupiter, there's Neptune, there's uh, uh, Saturn, uh, Plat there's others, I forgot, Pluto is one. Anyhow, they're all there. I think it's eight or nine of them all together. This is around the sun. I'm just saying that they're all named after these gods and this came from, comes from the Latin. The Greeks had their version of it. The Egyptians had their version of it. All of it came from that ancient Babylon and it's the mythology and they worship those things. They had, they had convents, uh, I call them convents, but they were orders where women had their little secret, or, that secret, they were open, orders in which they'd go there and communicate and suppose to pray to these different gods and entice their powers uh, to be on their half and so forth. And a lot of crazy things went on in those places. A lot of time to support it, they had immorality involved. Uh, I spent weeks uh, studying in the library in Clearwater, Florida one time. They have a fabulous library there. Studying the uh, ancient history of, the, of, uh, of that Persian area there and that Babylonian and Arab area. And they had crazy, crazy beliefs. I mean, that, it, that people would go, these guys would go to these orders and they'd have affairs with these women. And, and then they would give them money, and then the money supported the, 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 uh, the, the uh, order, whatever kind of order it was. I'm just telling you, folks, this is all immorality, and it's all based on this polytheism, the worship of many gods, and so it went on. Uh, the ancient religion of, of uh, or God of the Babylonians, not the ancient so much as the empire of Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel was there and all that, was a god called Bel, B-E-L, Bel. And he was their chief god. And they would put his name in front of other names, like Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. 
uh, Belteshazzar with a T on it was a name they gave Daniel. They gave Daniel that name. It was a Babylonian name. They gave that means God is he's precious in the eyes of God or something like that. But the word Bel, B-E-L in Babylonian is the same as Baal, B-A-A-L, that you also read about that was among the Canaanites when the, Egypt, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and came through the wilderness into Palestine and they encountered this God of Baal and everything. I won't get into all the details on it. I just want to say here that this polytheism still exists today. And this is in your notes here. It still exists today in the form, and I've talked to you about it, and <coughs> some people may be offended by it, but it's there. It still exists today in the form of worship in Christianity, polytheism carried over into Christianity in the form of the Trinity, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, three separate and distinct persons. We talked about how that this Trinity concept was way back in the old ancient Babylon and how that it's even been identified in other religions such as the, uh, such as Jap the Japanese, the Chinese, and uh, different religions in the Far East. They had this Trinitarian. They'd have a God with three heads and uh, how it's also identified in Spain and some of the, con in the convents there and so forth. Uh, in, in churches, the Trinitarian church in Madrid, I think, has a statue of that Trinitarian in that fashion, which is designed after that old ancient polytheism, same thing. The use of the pyramid, we talked about that last week, the use of the pyramid, not pyramid, but the triangle, three sides, but one triangle is an explanation of the Trinity. So today it's still carried over in the form of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, they call it. And yet that's not the case at all. Jesus Christ Praise the Lord was God manifest in flesh. There's one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, one. He's only one. And all through the Bible, I can show you, I could read, stand here and read all day to you scriptures in the Bible that God is just one, but they have made him into three. And the reason that the early church got into those kind of things after the apostles, can you still hear me all right? The apostles themselves warned that church that that would come in an apostasy like that. And that'd be a falling away. Paul talked about it in four different places I can show you in scripture. Uh, James talked about it, not James, John talked about it. And uh, I think it was a Jew talked about it. Uh, a couple of the other chapters as well. Peter talked about it as well. Uh, that that would be a falling away. And so what they did was that they said, you know what? If we can make Christianity more appealing to the pagan, to his understanding, then they will come into Christianity. And so they begin to sort of say, well, there's a holy trinity. God is the three persons. Oh, okay, so there is a, and so that's how they, uh, they appealed, made uh, Christianity appeal, appealing to the common people because they were into this polygamy stuff. The, the, the Greeks were, the, uh, the, the Romans were, all of the different nationalities and groups of people. They all had their gods and so forth and names. And so it all appealed unto them. I'm gonna read that part C again. Polytheism carried over into Christianity in the form of Trinity, the worship of Mary, and the praying to saints. And don't tell me that they don't pray to those people because I've seen them do it. 
And I've seen people actually pray to them. The third thing about praying to Mary is that if you pray to Mary and you say to her, please ask your son to do so and so and so and so. And because the son will listen to his mother, then therefore uh, you pray to the mother. If you don't know anything about that, folks, it's there, believe me. So this is the uh, modern day Babylon. Now I'm going to read here chapter uh, 17, verse 1 again. I'm going to go into part 2 here now on your notes that you have here. We're going right here. If you look at this part here. Look at 17.1. There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And then he went on to say, and he showed her this woman, Verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colors and decked with gold, precious stones, pearls, and having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots uh, and abominations of the earth. Notice how it describes her in a very horrible fashion. Now look back at verse 1 for a moment. It says that she, this great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Everybody see that? Now, while you have your Bibles there, go to, to, you're in that 17th chapter. Go to verse 15 for a moment. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So this woman is sitting upon like an empire over a lot of people, a lot of people. Now, I'm going back to verse 5 here again. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, which means that if she's the mother, there are some daughters that are harlots, daughters. So it's not just Rome that's carrying on polytheism, but it's also those who have adopted Rome's... Uh, they call it theology, Rome's theology, and they're continuing it on in their own fashion, in their own way, whatever it might be. I'm not going to name denominations. I'm not going to name sort of name denominations here if I can keep from doing so, but I think you understand what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you here today, folks, there is a pure gospel, pure gospel, and it's found in the Bible. It's not found in history. It's found in the Bible. Uh, and, and once they had established this, uh, this, 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 ancient, this ancient church that came out of the real church, which, was, which developed in 325 AD at the Nicene Council, and it was Constantine called them all together, called all of the Christian leaders together and said, I want you to get together and hammer out a belief that you have that all of you can agree on. And I can show you in writings, in historical writings, in, histor in historical books, where they came to the place where the only thing they could come up with was that there was some kind of a trinity that they would agree on, and they knew it was not biblical, they knew it was not scriptural. And they deviated from their original plans to stay with the scriptures and said, well, we'll throw the scriptures aside and we'll form it because we can all agree on it. And Constantine loved it because he wanted to unify all of them. So he wanted to bring them all together and said, if you can all agree on one thing. And they, they adopted what was called the Athanasius Creed. 
Athanasius was a uh, Athanasian creed. Yeah, Athanasius was a bishop in uh, in Alexandria, Egypt, and uh, he was over a lot of churches. And he had established a creed with them that uh, there is there is you know about the three gods, and he explained all that. And I have all of that written down. I got it written here in paper and stuff like that. And I have I'm deviated from even showing it to you. But just to say that there was many different forms of it. Here's the definition of the, of the Trinity. Here, for instance, this is one, and this is where the Athanasian Creed was brought from. There are three separate and distinct persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existence. Never was there a time that one was before the other. Never shall there be a time that one shall be after the other. There is no place that one, that one is that the other is not nor is one greater than the other, neither is there anything known to one that is not also known to the other. The Holy Trinity is equally uh, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Omnipresent is everywhere. Omniscient is uh, all-knowing, and, omni and um, omniscient all-knowing, and, omnip and omnipotent is all power. So this is just telling us here their definition of it. Athanasius introduced it and they adopted Athanasius' Creed and called it the Creed. And then after that, you were not to believe the Bible, you were to believe the Creed. If you, you swear by the Creed, you'd uphold the Creed, you'd commit yourself to the Creed. And that's still carried on to this day. I've got books on that. And uh, the Greek Orthodox, called the Greek, is also the Russian Orthodox. And a lot of the Eastern European countries call it the whatever you know, Serbian Orthodox, uh, they hold to that. And the creed is a very big thing. They stay with that. Folks, I'm so glad we stay with the gospel book, the book of Acts, where the apostles, how they did and what they did and what they said is the way we live. How did they baptize? They baptized in Jesus' name. I can show you four places in the Bible where they all baptized in Jesus' name, all the apostles. You say, well, Jesus said, go ye in all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they went forth and they baptized in Jesus' name. Well, they disobeyed the Lord. No, they didn't. They understood the Lord. That's right. They understood when he said baptize in the name, N-A-M-E, not N-A-M-E-S, not M-E-N-S, but M-A-N-E. And so there's just one name, and the name is Jesus. So in Acts 2.38, they baptized in Jesus' name. In Acts 8.16, they baptized in Jesus' name. In Acts 10, 48, they baptized in Jesus' name. That uh, was, you know, uh, Peter did, Christ Cornelius. Uh, Paul, in 19.5, baptized in Jesus' name, the disciples there at uh, Ephesus. I'm just pointing out to you here that here's all of these scriptures that tells us how they baptized. And it says, that, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They laid hands on, they received the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 10, they received the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 19, they received the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, they received the Holy Ghost. And then that's said they spoke in tongues in those places. Acts chapter 8, they received the Holy Ghost. I'm just pointing out to you here that it is, it is very plain if you take the word and you obey it. Now, if you want to hide the word from the people and keep it in Latin, like has, was done for, for hundreds of years, saying that, oh, you common people wouldn't understand the Bible anyhow. If you had the Bible, you wouldn't interpret it right because you wouldn't understand it right. So what you have to do is listen to us. That is the priesthood. 
You've got to listen to the priesthood. We'll tell you what is right and what is wrong. We'll tell you what the Bible says. You just listen to us. And it was kept in Latin. And then they said, well, if you printed it, if you printed it anything else, you lose the infallibility of the word. It's got to be kept in Latin. With the Greeks, they believed it had to be kept in the Greek language to be infallible. You understand, you understand what I'm saying here? And this is how they have kept wraps on it and they have continued on with polytheism. But the Lord says in the last days, I'm going to deal with that. Now, my time is running short. I'm going to move on here because I want to show you here what happens. Uh, here's a picture. This is a, uh, a picture here of the, the harlot. This is sort of just giving you a visual here. And she's riding a beast. Let me get it down here where you can see it. Everybody see that? All right. I want you to look with me here. Uh, verse 6. I'm going to read 5 and 6 again and read on down. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Balron, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. And then he says, number eight, the beast that thou sawest was and is not. Now notice that phrase, was and is not. In other words, it doesn't exist. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is, and yet is. And what we're looking at here, the beast is a, is a revival of that old Roman empire. Now, let me have you go over here to the book of Daniel for a moment. The book of Daniel, go to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter seven. Well, I'll tell you what, before I do this, do that. I'm sorry, you got, you, God bless you. Stay with me on this. Go to Daniel chapter 13. I mean, not Daniel. Revelation 13, 1. Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw the beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his, his horns ten crowns. <coughs> Excuse me. And upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And uh, so I'm just trying to tell you here that this beast that's mentioned in this 17th chapter here that the woman's writing is the one mentioned that came up out of the sea here in Revelations 13. Now, when you go to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel, way over in Daniel, and it says here that uh, verse 3, 7, 3, and four great beasts came up from the sea, divers from the other. The first were like a lion, and the, another was like, second like a bear. Verse 6, and after this they beheld another like a leopard. Now, these three animals that came up separately in Daniel 7 is what this beast that comes up in the Revelation is all described at. That he has a body like a leopard, he has feet like a bear, and that he has a mouth like a lion. And it's on here. Then he has these ten horns. 
Now, we're still over here in Daniel. Look what it says here about the fourth beast that comes up out of the sea. And it says, verse 7, in Daniel 7, 7. And after this, I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured breaking pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that was before it. And it had ten horns. Everybody see that? So what you read here is described not so much as having a, a head like a lion and feet like a bear and a body like a leopard, but over in Revelation, it describes it that way, the fourth beast. And then he goes to say that he considered the horns. Now it goes on to say here how that this beast will last until the end of time. I'm still here in Daniel 7, 13. And I saw in the night vision and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near unto him and there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. This is talking about the Lord's kingdom. And that's what the church is on earth. I'm gonna finish up here in verse 17. Look at Daniel 7, 17. These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall rise up out of the earth, but the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. That's at the end of time. Verse 20, and of the 10 horns which were, uh, that, that's the 10 horns up here, which, were, which came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking great things, that was the, the Antichrist is speaking of, whose mouth, whose look is more stout than his fellows. I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And verse 27, I'm finishing up here, Daniel. Verse 27 of seven. And the kingdoms and dominions and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him now. This is talking about what we read about over here in the book of Revelation. So when you read here in Revelations here about this woman, you're talking about the beast that she's riding, the beast. Now, when you go down, uh, on down a little further, it talks about this beast uh, how he's, that it describes it as seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. The beast is seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And uh, here are the seven mountains of Rome. Rome is known as the city of seven hills. These are the seven hills of Rome. This is found in, you can look at this in a, uh, in a, in a uh, map book, in kind of a map book of Rome. Just uh, Aventine Hill, Palatine Hill, Capitoline Hill, uh, Galilean Hill, Cornell Hill, Viminal Hill, and Cispian Hill. These are the seven hills of Rome, or the seven mounts of hill. And if you ever go to Rome, they got these different hills scattered all over. They're everywhere. Rome is all over these hills. So this is a city of seven hills that's formed that. It also says that there are seven forms of government. Uh, look at I'm looking here at verse nine. And here's the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains. I want the woman said in verse 10, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, and the other is not. These are forms of government that Rome had for in ancient times. 
and Rome, you can, you can study this out in history, it's there. But there were kings, there were consuls, and there were dictators, it's called regal Rome. And then there was tribunes and generals, this is called the Republic of Rome. And then there were Caesars and emperors. They were sort of one and the same, but Caesar and emperors, emperors later became, the Caesars would call emperors. And this was the Roman Empire, as it was called, Republic of Rome, Roman Empire. And then the seven is Pope, who is the, the Holy Roman Empire. That's why, and that's why it sets on many hills, many hills. It sets on many seas. In other words, the, the Holy Roman Empire is over many countries and many kingdoms and many people. And uh, it is very there. So I'm just sort of giving you a heads up here on all this, folks. And it goes on to say here that finally, uh, it comes on down finally to the woman in verse 18. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, which is Rome. And then in verse 8, chapter 18, it describes the destruction of the city of Rome. And when it describes the destruction of the city of Rome, it is also the destruction of even the Roman Catholic Church. That time, things may be completed and is getting ready for Armageddon. The way it's getting ready for Armageddon in the 19th chapter is about Armageddon. And so I'm just pointing out to you here that we are nearing uh, the close of our study here in the book of Revelation. Next week's gonna be a very interesting series. And I want you to be with me. I got some wonderful things, a part of the series. We've got some wonderful things to give you next week. Our time is gone. You've been a great class. God bless you. I love you. Let's stand together. We've got a great service coming up this morning. Let's stand and praise the Lord and let's lift our hands and worship him right now. Thank you, Jesus.